0: Hello and welcome to CAA Conversations. I am here today with Kevin Curry and Christopher McNulty. Kevin Curry is an associate teaching professor at Florida State University, where he teaches digital foundations and sculpture. He's currently in London teaching a photo for non-majors class, and Christopher McNulty is a professor of art in the Department of Art and Art History at Auburn University in Alabama and teaches sculpture to undergrads at all levels. He is a dual citizen of France and the United States. And today, they're going to be talking about the challenges and benefits of digital technology and 3D and sculpture. So without further ado, I'm going to hand the conversation over to these two. Great. Thank you. Christopher, I thought to get this started, because we've been kind of going back and forth via email and Facebook over the past few months of um, you guys were looking to, to start using 3D printers in your classes? And one, I'm wondering if that happened. And two, if you have expectations of it?
1: Yeah. um, In answering that question, I'll provide a little bit of of background. So um, as was said in the introduction, um, our program's an uh, undergraduate program here at Auburn. It's about medium size. And um, I came of age or was trained, uh, went to graduate school in an analog world uh, back in the 90s and um, you know at that time CAD existed but it was mostly in architectural fields and um, it wasn't really part of the way that we were taught and CAM existed really only in sort of industrial manufacturing Um, and so I've spent maybe 12 years teaching now um, based on those types of technologies and it's really only in the last five years that we've started to think about um, using digital technologies in the 3D area. It, I, I, I like in our situation right now is like where photo was 15 to 20 years ago with the advent of digital cameras and and uh, Photoshop and that sort of thing. And I think this has really the potential to completely transform uh, the field and the way that we teach. And, um, but like a lot of colleagues at uh similar public institutions with smaller budgets um i'm really kind of scratching my head trying to figure out how to do this the the 3d area and sculpture has been part of a department uh wide grant here um over the last five years that has been purchasing uh digital technologies um, both for the 2d and the 3d areas and uh, we have purchased um, a cnc plasma cutter a cnc router And um, just recently, uh, I wrote a grant with uh, an art historian, actually an ancient art historian, to get a three D printer. I mean, I can go into a little bit of detail how we use these things um, as we talk, but um, we've been I've been sort of doing things piecemeal and and sort of trying to figure out how to how to do it in a way that's smart. Um, We've been using the CNC plasma cutter in the classroom for a couple years now. Um, That's really the easiest. Machine to integrate because it's essentially two D, um, but um, this fall I will be for the first time integrating CAD and CAM comprehensively into a small intermediate class. So I'm sort of gearing up towards a full full on go with this stuff.
0: So I I want to um, I kind of want to preface everything I'm saying just just to let everyone know that I met Christopher when. I already had an undergrad degree and I went back to school with the idea of pursuing my master's and I was living in Alabama at the time. And so that's where I met Christopher. And I I really was very much influenced by the hands-on skills that he, he taught and he brought to the classroom. And as I went through my graduate work, I started to see how that had a potential of translating with with digital. And so I'm coming at it from a little bit of a different angle in that my background was digital, in that I did a lot of digital illustration work, a lot of 2D work. But then when I started focusing on sculpture, it became traditional. And then I started hailing back to that digital to um, to combine both analog and digital worlds. So that that that's kind of where I'm coming from in in that respect. Just to touch on something that you said, Christopher, I, I'm curious with the CNC plasma and with with all this stuff. One of the ongoing questions or issues that I always Either worry about or have conversations about is the, the tool driving the idea. Mm-hmm. Like, if, if you have a plasma cutter now, do you do you, do you or do you have students who are just making things that are, you know, that they know this plasma cutter can make? Are you, are they stopping their thought process too soon? Do you think?
1: Well, I think so far not and. But I think that's going to be a real question going forward as we fully integrate the technologies into the class. Um, and uh, that is a concern or, or part of a set of concerns that I have going into this. I, I would say maybe upfront though, I, I should talk about why we're doing this in terms of what the benefits are um, since, as I indicated, we are, we are going forward with this. I, I see on the CAD side, this technology really promising to help us with two major hurdles in teaching sculpture and teaching 3D. And the first one is um, helping students develop their spatial thinking. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Students are really, uh, you know, of course, they come into the class with with strong drawing skills and they're able to draw draw forms from in two dimensions. But as soon as they're asked to turn the thing uh, in space and to draw that third dimension, many of them um, perhaps most of them really, really struggle. And I think the idea of being able to draw something in a virtual environment and turn it around and then play with it that way is going to be, um, from the standpoint of developing ideas and forms, just gonna be a huge advance. And the, the second thing on the CAD side that I think is really powerful is you know, one of the problems that I have and so many faculty have is getting students to revise their, their forms and their ideas Yes. and the idea that you can stop you know uh, short way into a form save save you know save a, a copy of something and then have these things develop in two different directions and just iterate real quickly without having to sort of start over and you know draw and redraw and redraw this allows people to sort of build on that previous work um, and so just from the standpoint of, of designing, form and thinking about form and content i think these things are huge um, the cam side offers a huge amount of benefits as well um, you know typically students ideas and their designs exceed or or far in advance of their skill set and so i think things you know the plasma cutter is a great example you take a material like metal that is you know if nothing but obstinate and um you know, like when you were a student here, our ability to cut things out, sophisticated forms was was just incredibly limited and, and very, you know, for students that wanted to do it was very time intensive. And this promises to save an immense amount of time. Um, you know, we even compared to a handheld plasma cutter, there's no need for temp, templates here. Um, it cuts with really pre- precise tolerances, um, things really essentially don't need to be cleaned up. They're ready to weld. Um, You can do multiple parts that are identical. Theoretically, there's less waste. Of course, it's safer. Um, So both on the design side and the execution side, I think there's a way in which it may speed things along and allow additional focusing on on form and content. But um, the the downsides, the pitfalls, and I don't know if you want to jump in and, and... Talk about yeah. any of those benefits, but
0: well no, go, you go ahead. I okay. I, I thought you were gonna say you jump in into the pitfalls right away. I, okay. I, yeah, yeah, I, I, I think can do that. because there's plenty of them.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, there's the obvious stuff like resources. I mean, pedagogy aside, all departments, art departments have limited resources. There's a huge amount of expenses, the equipment's not cheap. You got the electronics that drives it, the software. Um And as I'm discovering with the 3D printing, the consumables are insanely expensive. And then there's time, just faculty time, um, learning the software, training technicians, writing grants to get funding to buy the equipment. And then, you know, once you've got it, the setup and the management of it, um, we already have a full facility and adding more equipment just means more things that can break and that need to be managed and supervised and all that sort of thing. And so I think for a lot of older faculty, it's easier to just default to inertia and stick with what you've got. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But to your point about pedagogy or your question about pedagogy. Yeah. I think that this is, this is the difficult, probably the difficult question that I'm grappling with is um, you know, having a, curriculum that's in place that's been developed over 15 years and and what are you what are you going to put on the on the altar and sacrifice to the you know the digital stuff um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it, as much as the CAD and the CAD cam um, promise to accelerate the process I, I don't think they're going to accelerate it to the degree that it's going to compensate for the time investment that's going to re- be required to teach the students the software and I don't I, I have done a couple of brief assignments in the past with my intermediate classes, having them dabble with CAD, um, specifically SketchUp and Autodesk Fusion 360 in the past. And mm-hmm. to be honest, it, it, it went really badly because I didn't, <laughs> support, I didn't support it and the students were frustrated and these, these programs are really intimidating. And um, I've, I've realized since then that it has to be supported in the classroom. And, and so for this fall, I'm, I'm planning on spending, you know, two and a half, three weeks introducing the software um, to get them up and running at a basic level, so that they can actually kind of know what they're doing and have their bearings in it.
0: I want to jump in for a second. Yeah, Um, I have very much um, similar experiences in that. The direction I'm coming at it from is, I teach a digital foundations course, and as part of that course and it's only one section of it is they they work on using the 3d printers um, at Florida State over the past four years I've been there just over four years now we've established a pretty robust um, fab fabrication lab our fab lab where we have multiple 3d printers and we have a couple of laser cutters and a um, a vinyl cutter. And as part of my curriculum, my assignments are focused on, at least in the beginning of the semester, just getting them into that lab and getting them on each piece of equipment. Even if it's something extremely simple, I'm not looking for high concept. So I I tend to spend, even though it goes quickly, I spend a lot of time just getting them into the software, but in the most basic of ways. And we do SketchUp. And for the 3D printer, we use Tinkercad. One, because they're they pretty sh- relatively short learning curves, at least to get running with it. But the other thing is that they're free. And I know students have total access to them. And that's important to me.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: and it's a, And it's always a divide because, you know, this is a foundation class that they're you know they have a choice of what foundation classes to take, but they're they're taking this one, and so it's not necessarily something they want to you know spend their life doing. But I I just want to make sure that they at least get their hands on the machines and hopefully see the potential of them at a foundation level. I I, I won't say often, but I, I do see pretty decent results. But even more importantly than that. I do see a few light bulbs going off, and that's, that's always nice. And to jump back a, a couple conversations, it is the ability, especially with more immediate um, equipment like 3D printers or laser cutters, it is that ability to, to run through post-software many iterations of something. And, and that's how I formulate some of my assignments is give them a goal, like fix something literally repair this thing, make this thing better, or make a situation better using a 3D printer. And they'll design something, they'll print it, it doesn't quite work. They go back to the virtual drawing board, redesign it, and get them used to this idea, which should carry through, even if it has to carry through in the analog world of them mm. not landing on the first idea and just running with it. And I think all those things from a pedagogy standpoint, all those things are the same for me. Like they, you have to run through all these ideas and you have to land on the, the best one first or, or not land on, on what's gonna be your best idea it does not come first. It's gonna come further down the line, which is the same for anything. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think for me, those things don't really, at a base level, it doesn't change that much. It's But it has the added requirement of a learning curve, and as you mentioned, people to take care of equipment, people to train other people on equipment, equipment gets broken, students, you know, something's gotta be seriously robust for a student not to break it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that is an ongoing issue and, and one that I don't know a really good solution to besides having amazing people, you know, working for you, We're spending a lot of time now, and it does take a lot of time either way. In
1: in that uh, foundations class, have you seen some of the problems that you uh, were concerned about anticipating, or um, were there difficult decisions where you had to pull stuff out of the class that you thought was really kind of foundational but needed to go in order to provide room for for this digital technology?
0: Um, <laughs> probably, but I can't think of any right now. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, I, th- I think over the past couple of years, I have changed my my syllabus almost every single semester. Je- not changed it, just tweaked it. Because either something wasn't right, or we spent too much time on, on learning this thing and not enough time actually doing something. Um, mm-hmm. But that's a huge challenge of any any class that involves software, um, because it's like teaching someone what a pencil is for the first time and then mm-hmm. having them do it fine. Um, and, and that is a difficulty. And this whole concept of students nowadays being computer literate, I, I totally disagree with that. Mm-hmm. It, they're computer literate the same way everyone who drives a car knows how to you know, repair a car. They don't. They, they use it all the time, but they really don't know how it works. And I, I find this a lot of my students. They're very engaged with it. And um, that's a positive side, that given that software is changing and, be, and quite frankly becoming easier to use, and I think that really does help. Whereas years ago, you were almost a programmer to run some of this equipment. Mm-hmm. And now the plug and play aspect of it is becoming more prevalent. And for me, I use that aspect of it as a, a means of raising the bar because the software is becoming more and more intuitive that it's getting to the point that almost anyone can sit down with very, very you know brief um, knowledge base and produce something. Um, And so, you know, if everyone's on that level, now as students or as artists, the bar just keeps going up. And I think that's a good thing. On the downside is it's too easy for to look really good on a screen because everything's shiny and it Mm -hmm. looks nice. But as a sculptor, I, I, I know that in the real world, you know, th- there are laws of physics that have to be applied here. Things, things that happen on the screen can't necessarily happen in the real world. And I, 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 another goal of my class is getting students off the screen. And that's where this variety of equipment, no matter what it is, really comes in because they can design something that looks fantastic on a screen. And it does, it looks beautiful. But in the real world, it's very different. Or in particular with 3D printing, it's so different when it's sitting in your hand. And now you can feel it and touch it, and it has weight. And I, I really like that um, that bridge that student, students get to cross over between creating something, using a piece of software they learned, seeing it on a screen, turning it around, looking at it from all these angles, and then assembling it in one way or another whatever machine you're using and then physically holding it in their hand with it on the screen next to it and them experiencing that that joy or perhaps that incredible sorrow if you're like it really doesn't hold up in the real world and mm-hmm. i think that's that's an ongoing problem for myself as well
1: mm-hmm. I don't think mm-hmm. it change. as i was thinking about this conversation i was realizing that a couple of the concerns that I have and and it sounds like that you have are really not new in a certain way um I mean to go back to your earlier point there are a lot of students not all students but certain students as they move from the process of ideation and design to manipulating physical materials um some have a tendency to consider their thought process as sort of complete and then to review or to view the remaining work as just simple you know physical execution Mm -hmm. Um, and um um, back at the beginning of the 20th century john dewey was talking about this very problem in his artist's experience he warned about um, the dangers of, of what he, of un, ungrounded thought, which he called uh, excess of receptivity and um, blind execution, which he called zeal for doing, as being both sort of insufficient by themselves, and that there needed to be this, you know, what you called doing, um, um, that is sort of based in the this physical experience. So, you know, in, in my classes, and, and, and I think I was probably doing this sort of thing when you were here, i um, always trying to encourage an awareness of the relationship between action and its consequences, that's sort of Dewey's language, but the idea that when you do something with a material um, or with a tool, that there's this thing that happens and you see how materials respond to your actions. and and in that way complement or shape or test or confound what it is that you're trying to do um, with that material or that tool Um, and so there's a way in which i'm trying to get the students to understand that or to challenge the the, this preconception that materials are inert and passive um, and get them instead to see that materials have a voice and are kind of actors in the creation of the artwork um, and to reconceive their processes of one as one of sort of a ongoing ne- negotiation or collaboration with the the material, um, and I think there's a related, again, kind of old, not new problem, which is the just the allure of technology. Um, and I see this even with analog tools. I mean, you, you give the student a choice between cutting something with a handsaw or, or going over t- and using a power saw, and they're gonna just think that going to the power saw is the better way to do it, even though it might be faster and more accurate just to use a handsaw in any given situation. And so just because something's plugged in, you know, the way our culture thinks about technology, there's a sense that, well, this must be the better way to do it. And so it, it, I was just thinking it might be useful to sort of think about maybe even a little bit skeptically these concerns from those standpoints, because, in those regards, they're kind of not new issues
0: no I, I I don't think they are at all i I think they're just um, maybe they're compounded by the expectation of doing all your thought processing and your design work and now sitting back and and having the piece created for you to a certain mm-hmm. degree. Um, I, I I think that is that is an issue because even even comparing it to a you know a pretty typical you know wood shop with a table saw and a bandsaw drill presses all those still require your hands on those machines at mm-hmm. least in a unless you're at a very high level situation. Um, and th- there is and what I enjoy about that is learning the skill and learning what works well and what works better. And as you were saying, when to use this tool versus this tool. And I think, unfortunately, I'd I'd have to admit that that does fall by the wayside um, pretty quickly when it comes to when we move into a digital realm, because in most situations, and again, I, I guess I'm focusing on 3D printing more than other technologies here, the, the by the time it gets to that piece of equipment, you've done all your work, and now it's the responsibility of that machine to to do your bidding for you and make mm-hmm. this thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it it's removed perhaps a a sense of play, and I don't in a frivolous way, but this sense of experimentation is happening in the foreground. But then not in the actual process of creating. Mm-hmm. Like when you're building something, and maybe you make a mistake and you slip and now you have to compensate for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that equipment doesn't mess up. And that gets into a whole other conversation about you know forcing equipment to do what it perhaps it's not designed to do. And I am fine when you know people want to experiment with it that way. But from a classroom situation, I, I, I really focus on students learning how to use it correctly first and then see what you can do with it. So I, so I guess it's a really long way of saying that. The, the way I do it in my digital founding class, it tends to be more of a, this is how you do this. And just use it machine you learn how to use this correctly first and they have to the way i set up my assignments is they design something they print it and they might have to do two or three prints and they get a successful print then um, at the end of my semester they do a capstone project where they come up with the assignment and they say i want to do this and i usually rein them in or push them harder and then they get to go back to that machine and produce something that they they really aspire to. And and students usually gravitate to either the, um, in my case, the 3D printer or the laser cutter. And if we had a plasma cutter, which we don't, I would like to push them on that too. But, but we don't have one of those yet.
1: I was going to say, one of the things that I, I think that we're talking about here too is, I mean, there's the physical separation of the, of the body from the tool and from the material. Um, and and it's not just a tactile thing, but it's also, you know, it's fully central. There's the, the seeing of what's happening, the hearing of it, the smelling of it, and the feeling of it in the body and all that, like you said, mm-hmm. gets completely removed from the process. And I'm looking at this um, since the 3D printing is really new here and, and uh, not fully integrated, more from the machining um, tools, um, the router, from the standpoint of the router and the plasma cutter. Um, but I think the other thing, too, is what we're talking about is also a question of just time and the way in which, particularly the CAM side of things, accelerates the process um, to, to the point that there's really no time or space for the student to pay attention or to listen to what's happening. Um, and it, the technology, at least is my concern, can lock them in sooner before the project is really fully baked and as you said, doesn't leave room for improvisation or exploration. I mean, I think about it as sort of like the difference between biking through a space and driving through a space. Like you uh, see, you see so much more when you're biking and moving slowly or walking compared to to driving. Um, I think
0: that's a perfect analogy for that situation. That, that's that's exactly it. They, they, there isn't the time for them to really look around and yeah. see what.
1: Yes, And I think the danger there is that they end up using materials in, in ways that are inappropriate. Like you talked about, you know, the laws of physics apply uh, mm-hmm. or where the material's not really suited to the expressive content of the work or where, you know, some other material might just be better suited. But they are working with, I don't know, steel because that's the machine they've got. You know, I think one other big concern that's practical in nature is you know at least from the standpoint of training undergraduates is what relationship does this all have to their postgraduate practice if we're training them to work out in the world um, how will this technology be useful to students as they move out into the world I mean as we've already talked about it's super expensive a lot of it's really large requires systems to support it Um, there are of course maker spaces and urban centers but um, that offer access but they come with some real expense. Um, There do seem to be smaller options that are increasingly becoming available, desktop 3D printers, small CNC router systems. um, You know, and the technologists promise that we'll be doing all this in our homes pretty soon. But I I do wonder about the affordability and, and training students to do things that they won't be able to do in you know, shared lofts, um, in green or whatever, you know?
0: Yes. And, and I, I am am very skeptical of the, um, everyone doing it in their home, not that they won't be able to physically have a machine because there, there are some amazingly inexpensive, um, 3d printers out there and, and laser cutters as well. But, But my bigger concern is I think it kind of falls into the conversation of, promises of a, a wireless world and a paperless office. Mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. never really panned out that much. And, and also, I, I, for me, the analogy is, yes, the, the technology might be able to sit on your countertop, but, but the design skills and the sensitivity of visual aesthetic isn't just implanted into your head or your heart. right? That, that takes years and lifetimes to to really finesse. And my concern is that that'll fall by the wayside because I I saw the exact same thing happened. Um, My undergrad degree was in graphic communication and I worked as an art director and it was right at the time when desktop um, publishing came out. And it changed the whole face of design in that anyone in the office was now assigned the task of designing a brochure because they had a computer that could do it. And Mm -hmm. design fell by the wayside, and it fell by the wayside for a very long time, and I think it's making a comeback now, but it it really took a serious hit. And it's my concern that, as as an artist, that concept is going to start taking a big hit for a while before, before people realize that, it's all feeling very hollow and it's shiny and it's bright, but it's meaningless. And they're, they're, they're producing trinkets and, and prefab designs, perhaps. Have you um,
1: been doing this long enough at the foundations level to get feedback from students or upper level faculty in sculpture or other 3D areas? I mean, what, what is, what's their perspective on this?
0: Well, from a student perspective, I, I get really good feedback. They're they're excited by it. Um, I don't think they fully realize the potential of what they're doing. And I tr- really try and get this point home of, you know, we're, we're right, at, right at the forefront of all this stuff, even, around, even though all this technology in one way or another has been around for quite a few years, but at a very expensive manufacturing level. Now mm-hmm. it's becoming, in one way or another, either home-based or school-based or makerspace-based. Um, you know, we, we all have a little more access to it. So I, I try and get that point across to them. Like, you, you have access to these things. Take advantage of it while you can. Um, they, I think they enjoy it. and I think they find it fun, in a way. and. You know, I'll, I'll take that. If that if that gets them interested enough to the point where now they want to pursue concepts using whatever piece of technology we have, that's great. But I also, at the same time, try to balance that with using the correct tool. And if the correct tool is going down to the wood shop and cutting something, on a bandsaw, as opposed to you know running it through a laser cutter, then go to the bandsaw and go use that, um, which is no different than you know has been taught forever. Say, like, mm-hmm. use, use the right tool, and that maybe that's not a digital tool, but then I think students feel like they're being left out because they really want to play with these new toys.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: mm-hmm. From other faculty or or other courses, I also. Um, I teach sculpture in a 3D foundations course as well. And I make it a point in my class to also get them onto this equipment, if if nothing more, especially if they haven't taken my digital foundations class. Because I just want them to know that it's available. But then we always end up having that same conversation of why are you using this tool? Is it, you know, is is this the right thing for your idea? Maybe maybe you make this whole thing by hand. Or, and what is more prevalent is perhaps the use of technology, <clears throat> excuse me, is, is just a supporting cast member in, in your work. Maybe you know, it is more efficient to make a support system using a technology and then the finishing is by hand. This idea of things popping out of machines already done for you. Um, I, I, I think I, the, the way in my foundation class, the goal of my foundation class is to prepare students in digital foundations, is to prepare students to move forward into more advanced classes. And those classes might involve coding, they might involve digital fabrication, um, animation, all these things. So it's a little bit off topic, but in my courses, we cover a huge variety of software pretty rapidly. And I I try and describe it to them as, it's like a buffet. And I lay all the stuff out in front of them and they take a little taste of everything. And then at the end of the semester, they go back and dig into the one thing that really interested them. And I get a lot of good responses from that um, because it keeps them engaged. And I get to show them at least a glimpse of the potential and the possibilities. And most importantly, perhaps, is is the pitfalls that are very easily um, fallen into. That's great. Well, this has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you both so much. Thank you.
1: I really enjoyed it.